right. 25 episodes. We're a quarter of the way to 100. Right? Woo. Just cruising. Man, scooting along. We had that uh, we had that hiccup at the beginning where I got, well, it's when I was at the hospital and I didn't post something for a while. And in between that, between episode two and three, we had like a 10 day stint because everything broke on us <laughs> when we were trying to record. <laughs> you remember that, Garrett? That was, uh, yeah. it seems like so long ago, but it was only it like really six does. months. My very expensive computer that. Great, great for video, not good for podcast because, (laughs) oh man, that poor thing, that stupid converter box. I've narrowed it down to that. Yeah, don't worry. My my free, I guess, fancy tablet works fine. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I do need to upgrade because I want to start playing with video more. But at this point, it's working. Yeah. Something else I have, we were talking, I think that was before we were recording, right? Uh, no, oh, no, no. Oh, yeah, that was before yeah. we were recording. So something else that I'm missing is a one of my memory cards that has most of the like cool stuff from Elk Season on it. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah, I might have killed that one. Oh, Not sure where no. it is. Oh, I think no. it's at home. I've got two other places I can check. I've got a trail camera and a gopro that i can check might be in one of those fingers crossed oh man that's rough i don't know where my charger is for my uh for my video camera like my nice camera Mm. so i might need to buy a uh an amazon special charger sometime this week to to charge these batteries (laughs) because i don't know where where it's at nor would i even know where to begin looking so it's uh that's something i need to buy um what did you guys do this week? Did you guys do anything this week in archery? Um, built arrows. That's cool. That's mo- most of my last. Yours. Like, what day is today? Tuesday. Today is so, Tuesday. I guess most of my last like four or five days has been uh, storm related. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. So, Wisconsin got destroyed, dude. It, by a it, bunch of by a bunch of F ones and F zeros too. I don't think was there any F twos or higher. I that's there was. I think there was seven confirmed. There was, there was nine. There was nine, nine confirmed okay. tornadoes. Yeah, there was nine. Um, I guess I haven't really looked. But the crazy part is that there were confirmed uh, sustained wind measurements with no touchdown no tornado that were 90 to 100 miles an hour like all across the state hmm. like Jeez. it was insane i mean the storm itself was moving at 50 to 60 miles an hour and that's so, a fast moving storm yeah. like it was it was crazy because i mean at certain areas it was dumping eight to ten inches an hour and so even though it only stayed in you know that section stayed in an area for 20, 30 minutes, it was still dumping four or five inches. Right. Like it was, it was crazy. Yeah. Like there was some uh, drone footage that somebody took in uh, an area just a little bit North of where I'm at that it, it, I mean, there was just entire sections of forest that was just flat. 
gone. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I saw I saw some pictures of forest where and these weren't like little trees. Like these were like good sized trees that were just I mean, ripped completely from the ground and oh yeah thrown away. <laughs> I mean, that's there was I mean, just two, three blocks from my house, there was a like three and a half foot diameter tree that just Great got gracious. ripped out of the ground, went through a house. Like geez. It it it's been a mess. So I was able to check the local property, uh, went out there and I guess made sure that my stands and my cameras were still upright and, uh, definitely going to be some, uh, changes in the historical paths through that swamp. Mm -hmm. Um, but it was a lot better than I was expecting the the main property that i work up in northern wisconsin that one is a giant question mark right now because i've heard that they got hit hard Hmm. and so that's gonna be probably not this weekend but i need to run up there at some point here and evaluate see if our trails are still actually trails or if we need to start clearing yeah so well, man, that's uh, I, I, I guess I mean we get tornadoes here in Missouri all the time. It's not super uncommon, but the damage doesn't look anything like that. But I would guess it's because our vegetation is used to high winds, or it's been you know over. Well, I mean, we get millennia, so it's 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 gotten that. But I mean, you you guys get tornadoes up there, but yeah. not not like not like in the, the southern part of the Midwest. Yeah, I mean, we always get a handful of tornadoes a year like in our, in the area I'm in. Um, but like, this was just really widespread. Like, I mean, Hmm. it was a line that just went across the state and, uh, yeah, it was, it was a good one. Yeah. Huh? But, uh, well, I hope, I hope you get all that figured out. That was, that looked, that looked rough. Um, Everybody's got power again, at least everyone that, that I'm concerned okay. with. Yeah, man, that's so. after going uh, five days without power in January when it was like negative 10 degrees here in <laughs> Kansas City. And I had to leave my wife to go on a business trip in Chicago with no, like I literally couldn't take a shower the day I left on my business trip because we didn't have power. Uh, and so the water heater wouldn't, wouldn't yeah. work unless I wanted to take quite literally like an ice shower. And I was like, I'll just shower somewhere else at the hotel. And, uh, yeah, that, that sounds awful. Uh, glad, glad you, yeah. everyone around you has power back. Um, Garrett, you at least, well, hell today you got your, uh, 44 mag in, right? Yes, I did. And oh, a pair yeah. of tarp and what else did I order? cargo net a couple pouches hmm. it's super Man, I'm, neat i'm trying to learn about floral shelters because i'm kind of interested in them but i don't know I, I i don't i don't know anything about them and like everything about me says if it rains you're gonna have a really bad time but apparently if you set up the shelter correctly, it doesn't matter. You just have to set it up in the right spot. Don't set it up in a place that's obviously going to collect water. Yeah. Hmm. Well, 
I'm curious to see how you end up liking that tart because I'm Should I'm interested, good. man. Well, and, and kind of what got me looking at all this is I want to I want a TP of some, I want a shelter that I that my wife and I can like go and do some basic camping on. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know anything about these types of shelters, so please don't crucify me, people listening. But the Kfaru saw, Sawtooth is like 800 bucks just for the Sawtooth. Yeah. But if you look at the, I think it's the Get Outside Cimarron, mm-hmm. it's like literally half the price mm-hmm. and it doesn't look that much different. And um, I'm really, I I'm really yeah. com- confused as to where the $400 difference is. And Probably. apparently the Cimarron can run an extender from what I have been told. Yeah, probably it's the main difference is probably the material it's made out of, I would assume. Yeah. Uh, my buddy has a sawtooth. Uh the guy I hunt with has a sawtooth and it's oh, pretty sweet. They're, yeah, they're awesome. They but, look they look amazing. I'm yeah, not taking I, anything away from Kafaru at I all. I actually don't I'm, I don't know what's different. I mean, I don't know if it's a weight savings or what, but I see a lot of people running the get outside one too, so Yeah. Yeah. Well I know I have a I'm pretty sure Tom has a get outside like eight man TP. It's pretty big, but I don't know. But that's the thing. I can get into an eight man TP for the same price as a sawtooth and have enough room to do like to, you know, play a football game in if I wanted to. So I don't know. We'll see. I guess we'll wait on. I had a existential crisis thinking I didn't know how to tune a bow anymore. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But I got it figured out, I guess. Was that when you panicked about the broadhead weight? Uh, just arrow spine in general. But well, luckily, luckily, the uh, resident tuning guru uh, was able to, when I say resident, I mean internet uh, mm-hmm. tuning guru was able to set you straight and say that you needed a 250 spine. So that's true. Yeah. I, lucky for lucky I, for us. I have it on good authority that he and I share, uh, he being this person who shall not be named, share a uh, habit of prematurely hitting a release on a bow. (laughs) I saw that. (laughs) Yeah. But, you know, whatever. Broadheads and field points shoot great to 80 together, and I shoot right behind my pin to... 97 and a half. I was just too lazy to open the garage door. I can shoot farther than that at work, but I, it was kind of windy. So the garage was protecting me from the wind for that video. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Well, back by popular demand, I guess is another archery myths episode. We've got a handful more to work through tonight. That'll, uh, uh, these aren't I don't think these are quite as like uh, groundbreaking as the as the first batch, but there's still definitely some uh, some good stuff in here. Well, I don't know. I wouldn't say that there's one in here that I see thrown around. There's two in here I see thrown around every day online, literally every day. Uh, so I'm, uh, I'm excited to get into this and debunk a couple of other other things, which uh, which one did we decide to tee it off with? Broadhead tuning? Broadheads, I believe. Broadheads? Okay. Broadheads, it's well, that time of year. It is that time of year. Oh, People are starting every, to shoot broadheads. Every Myself other included. Facebook post. Yep. 
What's so, wrong? Yes. Everything, everything actually. But yeah, thanks for you, asking. You're doing everything incorrect. Um, so the... <laughs> uh, uh, oh, speaking of um, uh, I apologize <laughs> to nobody for saying um. I'm trying to get better about it. But it apparently, literally does not matter in the podcasting world. If you don't edit out ums, apparently you are just a degenerate and you don't deserve to have a good podcast. I'm pretty sure that I saw a lot of people <laughs> that had pretty successful podcasts also comment on that post and say, yeah, it does not matter. Yeah. yeah. Or so you sound like a robot when you edit out all of those words. Right. Yeah, I, I'm consciously trying to say um less because I am definitely a heavy um er. Mm. But uh, ooh, that, that that could be construed. Uh, <laughs> um, oh God, soundbite. Uh, but uh, and now you're gonna I'm, just keep doing, keep stammering. Yep, yep, I sure am. But it's I'm never gonna, I'm never junior. gonna take, I'm never gonna take the time to edit all that out. So <laughs> I, so in the words of Conor McGregor, I'd like to apologize to absolutely nobody. <laughs> and I also hate Conor McGregor. So there's that. But. Um, there it is. <laughs> I'd say to his face, and I'd run. <laughs> he'd be like, okay. he'd catch me." <laughs> he'd just be like, "Okay." Say, "Who and, the fuck is that guy?" Yeah, and you are. <laughs> <laughs> so everyone's shooting broadheads right now, and it it never fails that every year these charts start popping up for how to how to tune your broadheads. So. I don't I don't know if we should start with the charts, but uh, I, I the the major misconception that I have seen here and you guys tell me if you agree or not is people always say to chase your field point when you are broadhead tuning, meaning yeah. move your rest in the direction that the field point is because your broadhead is catching too much wind and it's it's veering it, you know, off the direction uh, that your rest is pointed. So therefore you need to point it to your field point and do that when this is wrong. Which, it's a myth. Yes. And that's, you can definitely understand where people are coming from with that. It makes and, sense. In, you in know, your head, it totally makes sense. They're correct that it is catching, you know, uh, creating resistance and right. veering off that direction. Right. Yeah, but and that's why broadheads it, are a little more picky to tune for sure. Yeah, um, but the where the misconception comes in is that a so say your broadhead is heading to the left. What's going to happen, or I guess what's actually happening, is that's telling you that you have a knock right. So you have a right tear in paper. You have a knock right bear shaft that is causing your broadhead to veer left of where the field point is because the field point is not undergoing that same resistance. So how do we correct a knock right? We move the rest. If you're if you're at the stage of fine tuning and, and rest only movements. You move right. The rest when you say when left. you say knock right, we're talking about bear shaft, right? Or or right tear. Yeah, yeah, I guess yeah. If you're doing it with paper as well. Yeah. Yep. So, um, if your knock or your tear, however you're checking, right in the tuning stage, 
if it's to the right, you're going to move your rest to the left. So if you're shooting broadheads and your broadhead is left of your field point, you're going to chase the broadhead to bring the field point over to it. What happens in a lot yep. of cases is guys will chase the field point or they're told to chase the field point and everything moves together. Like yep. at, at some point your your broadhead will probably hit where you wanted the field point to be initially, but your field point's still now way over. Way off, yeah. You know, and so you, you haven't really corrected anything. Um, so yeah, it's just one of those goofy things where for whatever reason, it's fairly agreed upon how to correct, you know, tuning issues when you're bear shafting or when you're shooting, you know, doing like a walk back or whatever the case, looking at like a tear in paper, but then broadheads just, yeah, everyone just like throws it out the window. Yeah. It just blows my mind. Nothing makes sense anymore, apparently. So Rob and or Garrett, I have sighted in my, I've like zeroed in everything with my field points and I shoot my broadhead and it's off to the left. So then I move my rest to the left, but now my field points aren't impacting where I want them to anymore. What do I do? Because this is so wrong now. You correctly cite it. Whoa. <laughs> Shut the hell up. <laughs> what so, a damn I, I don't concept. know how you guys, uh, I guess, zero your sight. Um, this is honestly probably the biggest thing that I take away from like walk back tuning. Even if I'm not doing a, a, a walk back, I'll right. use it as well, a yeah, site it, verification. Yep. 100%. So, I will shoot from like one or two yards at a known true vertical line. Yep. Sight in right there. And then I'll step back to 20, 30, whatever I have room. And I'll shoot the same spot. And if, if, you've already done bear shaft or you've already done your tuning method and you know that everything's flying true, then doing this should get it very close to being correct for sight. Yep. Um, that's like, if you're doing a walk back method, then you're, you're using this to validate the alignment of your string and your rest with the site, having true, yep. you know, flight tracking. But if you've bear shafted and you're just trying to get your site there, use the same thing, like verify it at point blank yep. and then just double check, fine tune. It'll, yep. it'll get 100%. you there. hundred percent. And that's uh, the reason I bring this up is because this question slash topic was covered several times in multiple Facebook groups last week. And a lot of bad information was put out there, but that's that's not the point. The point was that one particular person of authority uh, kept making the comment that I made that, well, when you move your rest, then your point of impact is going to change. To which my response 
was well no shit like of course <laughs> exactly. of course it's gonna change it's it, to. like but yeah it's supposed to if it doesn't then something you are <laughs> either a miracle worker or something is really wrong i mean um, which would we prefer having it hit where the site is but have poor flight or having good flight and having to adjust our site yeah, adjusting like, your site is 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 probably the easiest part the, of the, the tuning site process. Is simply our indicator, like right. get everything flying good, and then put the pin where it's hitting. Right. Like, I will say, I'm I'm going to add one caveat to this. One, I ran into an issue once where I slapped on a site on a new bow, and I went to go tune it in. This this was that freaking obsession that DefCon. And my site, I like I zeroed it or well, kind of. But my site was like so out of whack that when I was trying to shoot it, like my site was so far to one side, I wasn't really worried about zeroing. I was just trying to group group stuff together. But my site was so far to one side that I was torquing the string like a lot to get my head in alignment with the peep and the site. And and it caused issues. So I like. I zeroed the site. Like I put it, I like, guess, close to in line with my string and rest as I could. No, and like, yeah, it, it brought everything back together. But point being, if you, if you have, even if you have your rest set up correctly from the beginning, because mine wasn't too far off, and you adjust about an eighth of an inch. But uh, even if your rest is off, or even if your rest is correct, if you have your site like way one way to. Uh, uh, to one side or the other, you can create uh, torque that uh, didn't need to be in place. So I uh, just wanted to throw that out there. Just make sure your stuff, your site is halfway correct, even if you're not quote unquote zeroing at that point. Yeah, I mean, an eighth eighth inch on your rest is a fair amount. That, yeah, that, that's no, gonna it, throw it will, off that site quite a bit. If you're that bow needs to zero to be, with it. Yeah, that bow need to be shimmed, but I it was just a nightmare we've talked about that before it was, <laughs> i hated that bow yeah. i've loved that bow but i hated that bow um do i don't i don't know oh well uh i guess i don't know if this is like a myth 1.2 uh is where all this came from so these yeah, charts yeah. these charts that you see people post and this is this is coming from uh um i didn't know this until evan told me uh, and he actually told me on on this episode that would have been episode do, 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 uh, eleven. If someone wants to go back and listen to it, um, Evan told me that these charts came out from Easton a long time ago when compounds were starting to come out, or they were even still being used for traditional guys. Uh, but it was for people that were shooting finger releases, or they were shooting off their fingers. They weren't shooting mechanical releases. And that created a more of a paradox uh, left, right than it does up and down for vertical. So these charts were copied and, you know, changed and had, you know, stars versus triangles and all this stuff added on it. And it's just been passed around for the last two decades, uh, three de- well, for longer than that, three decades. And then when mechanical releases started becoming a more popular thing, uh, they never got updated and they're they're backwards. They're wrong. So uh, that is where when you see people posting these charts, call into question where they got these from. And I'm pretty sure Evan. So Evan, I know Evan went to the 
like went to the Hoyt factory and Easton factory mm-hmm. for, for to get like Hoyt certified. And I'm pretty I'm pretty sure he like heard that straight from the horse's mouth there from Hoyt saying like, yeah, these charts keep getting passed around because Easton made them a long time ago because Easton and Hoyt are like BFFs. And now now they're all wrong. <laughs> why wouldn't they just change it and like make sure that people are aware that it's wrong? I don't know, because if people don't know how to tune their well, bows and they're forced to go to pro shops and pro shops also create it, money for them. It's the Matt, internet conspiracy theorist is showing. Yes, but <laughs> it, it is the internet. So what oh, is once true. on the internet will never leave the internet. It's true. So when you look at, you know, how search engines work and how that, you know, how people find things. Yeah, whatever people are clicking on and whatever they know is there, then they keep referencing other people to it. And yep. then what shows up when you search for stuff? Yep. You know, like weird rumors about the Dixie chicks. It's weird. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're not going down that one. <laughs> anyway, but, <laughs> I, had to, I had to throw I'm, it in there. I'm sorry. On a different note. <laughs> so. The main point here is if you have an understanding of how to bear shaft and what your different knock positions mean, don't throw that out the window when it comes to broadheads. It's the same system. It's the same reactions. They're just being exaggerated by the surface area of a broadhead. So don't look at some chart and go, huh, if it's doing this, I would have thought we did this, but the chart says to do the opposite. Yep. Throw the chart away, make your own chart. Like we're working on putting some stuff together. Um, and I'm, yeah, it's like the busiest time of year to try and get anything else. Right. Done right now. But, um, I know that we've already got some pictures floating around from Evan. Um, yep. I've been sharing them Thanks, Evan. where applicable. Um, so we're trying to get that out there. Just don't forget your basic tuning when you yep. start looking at broadheads or helping anyone out. Yep. But from the very, like to wrap all this up in a bow, if you bear shaft tune at the very beginning and you do it correctly, you when you strap on broadheads, you shouldn't have any issues. And if you do have to change something, it's going to be very, 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 very small. Yes, it's not going to be much. So, yeah, it, that's means, more like more for guys. Even, yeah, by small, it's like not even an eighth of a like the little if you have a micro just rest, like not even an eighth of a turn. Yeah, usually. Yeah. Like a 64th of an inch, 32nd yeah. of an inch is probably what you'll be moving at, at most, yeah. at absolute most. Yeah. I mean, nine times out of 10, if you have clean bear shaft flight, your broadheads are going to be there. I mean, that's yeah. like the video that I posted of my wife like a week ago. Yeah. That was Freaking a, that was a broadhead with, with broadheads no veins on it. That was a bear yep. shaft broadhead and it hit the exact same like 10 o'clock position as the field point. We adjusted the site after that verification and guess what? It's all good. Yep. Right. Ready to rock. 
throw some veins on there, side her in, side it in. Once yep. again, novel concept. It's crazy. And uh, then let her let her rip tater chip. Exactly. Did I tell you guys what my other tuning issue was? I think I did. Uh, Maybe. The hamskis have yeah, yeah. different the spring, spring tensions. Mm-hmm. I did not know that until I was about ready to pull my hair out and I was texting Austin. I was like, Austin. I don't know what's wrong with this bow. I had to raise my rest up way more than I should have. He's like, oh, how much point weight are you running? I'm like 200 grains. He's like, yeah, it's probably your spring tension. Yeah. Raise it to the highest point and try again. But yeah, that's what it was. It was enough weight to make that rest drop like an eighth of an inch once it hit full draw. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Speaking of rests, just because I've never really used any nice ones. Do we have any recommendations for people outside of ham skis that like we can, I, I, I guess, well, put like I a mean, stamp of approval any on? Any of them function. Sure, uh, like, sure. I, mean, I, I guess, I mean, I just trophy I know. Trophy taker, QAD, like ham ski. They all work. trophy taker anymore because they break more often than not. Yeah, I have seen that. Um but the center I mean, or the launcher post starts sliding sideways. Yeah, no, I have seen that. But I guess in general, the majority the of job. rests is once you have them set and lock them in, they're good. Um, right. The the benefit to to certain rests is the ability to have micro adjust. Right. Because if you're trying to make, like you guys mentioned before, if you're trying to make like a 64th or like a 32nd type adjustment where you're like, it is so close, but I, I need a hair. I just need mm-hmm. a hair of movement. If you've got like a standard QAD, like HDX, or good any luck. of the other rests that are free moving, mm-hmm. good luck. Because the minute that you crack that bolt loose, it already moved. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's honestly what moved me into Hamski was Guess they have the micro years ago there. when I started bear shaft tuning, that drove me up a wall because yeah. I would be like so close to done. And then it would move. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess back to square one. Yep. Like, yep. nope. Now, for an extra 10 bucks, I'll get the, you know, the uh, hybrid hunter from Hamski that has micro and call it a day. So, I mean, there are more. uh, I mean, outside of Hamski's, if Vapor Trail would make a Pro V with freaking micro adjust, I'd never buy another rest. I know. So anybody out there that has people that are higher ups in Vapor Trail, make a damn micro tune. Yeah, because well, apparently I, I learned this week that Vapor Trail also makes traditional strings. Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah. I don't yeah. like their regular strings, so I'm not impressed. Yeah, but, well, <laughs> we we used them. I mean, that was our primary replacement string at the shop that I was with previously. I mean, um, they're better than. Zebra strings. Yeah. 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 But uh that's that's I mean, they're definitely not a you know uh a custom string from a single maker. No. I mean it's a mass produced string that has 
dozens of different people making them. So your quality can vary. Sure. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're going to, uh, you know, and most of these custom guys, it's a one man operation. So that same person is making it every set and the consistent, the quality should be very consistent. Right. Tis true. Tis true. All right. Sorry to get off on that tangent. Yeah, no, but I guess main point is regardless of what brand rest, if you want to bear shaft and you're going to be, especially if you're potentially going to be doing multiple arrows, like if you have a 3d arrow and a hunting arrow and you're going to be doing this a couple times a year, get a micro. I don't care what kind, get a micro. Yep. Agreed. I used to really like the, uh, the pro drops, but I, I don't really like those anymore either. Yeah. Those metal, the metal launcher has oh, too much yeah. to give, yep. no matter what I do. So, yeah. I mean, maybe I could, I should probably look into it more before I completely write it off, but I don't know that they have one stiff enough for what I need. I need to buy a Hamski. I have still have a HXL. <laughs> I need to buy a Hamski. The what? Uh, it's a Trophy Ridge HXL. It's oh, like it drops yeah. straight uh, down. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It kind of looks like a Pro V, but yeah, not, not, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't. Which one did we want to do next? Pin gap or? Ah, uh, let's do the uh, kinetic energy. Okay, yeah. This that'll is, that'll uh, lead this, right this, into our pin gap conversation. Yeah, that's that's true. That's very true, and it's probably the other one that we see quite a bit. Yeah, especially this time of year. So I would like to myth, pause one more time. Well, fine. Do uh, that. Vapor trail charge is one hundred and forty three ninety nine. Gee, for a set of strings. For a set of strings, that'd be oh. for my Bowtech. That that's oh, for no. a th- No. Let's see how much they cost for a prime. Shall we? Yeah, because they run. What a, all are you adding on there, game, right? Unless just, they I mean, changed prices in the got, last like year. I guess year. I clicked on string bats. Hold on. Let's take those off of there. Okay, still 135. So that's custom colors. Two color string. Serving. Obviously, that has to be included. And speed buttons. 135. Huh. That seems awful steep. Was uh, What is your boy selling for? Uh, I'm not gonna quote him because I don't know. Less Off than that. I mean, Less than most that. And of them are dependent on the number of strings strings in the set. Right. Like hog wires that... that I deal with. If you're getting a three piece string set, it's gonna be a hundred, hundred or like hundred and five with the uh, speed knocks and stuff. Speed knock like, should come standard, also. No, yeah, no that that includes. Um, there are some. It. Um, yeah, there are like some builders that do not include them, and they charge you extra to add speed knocks. It's like, guys, just include them. Every bow That's part of the string. Bow. Every bow now has them. Yeah. Why are you not right. including them? Why is it an upcharge? Because I mean, like, I want to say that my Hoyt, which is a five piece, um that 
is like 130 or 135, but you've got more pieces that have to be built and served. Like, yeah, yeah. The, the five pieces are pretty easy. They're just all straight strings. Yeah, I was just saying that there's more work. There are more of there, There's yes. more setup time. There's more, I mean, from a manufacturing standpoint, every yeah. time that you have to reset the machine is time that has to be accounted for. So it's no different than if I'm, you know, selling something with five operations, five different machine centers, like that's going to cost more than the same runtime on one machine. Right. Which I get, but vapor trail, lower your prices. You're not worth that much. Well, I know I've bought, I've bought strings from another mm, popular person and they were for, what was that for? So my nitrum turbo and they were not nearly that much. So I don't know. Interesting. Um, okay. Next. Are we, are we good? Yeah, we good. Yep. Okay. Cool. Uh, the next myth, I guess that we see quite a bit is the myth of kinetic energy translating to penetration potential. Now, I even saw today a, a notable person in a notable group posted a video of another notable person talking about kinetic energy and penetration potential, or particularly particularly talking about broadheads. And there's just, uh, it's, there's no way around like how to describe this other than kinetic energy is a rating if you're looking at your impact potential that is good to the skin of the animal it basically tells how hard you are going to hit that animal or the potential of hitting that animal is and that's about it it's essentially like kinetic energy would be a good rating for throwing a baseball at something because it's not going to penetrate and all the energy dissipates at that point. Uh, the real measuring stick or the closest measuring stick that you can get for true penetration potential measurement is momentum. And there's a, there's a bunch of ways to calculate momentum, but the most popular way in archery is to calculate it using slugs. And I'm not going to get into like, Oh, these are all the things that you do. If you type in archery calculator, just about everything uh, or just about everything that pops up, we'll go ahead and, and do this calculation for you. So I don't feel like there's uh, really a reason to jump into all the calculations in this particular part of it. We do plan on having on uh, a professor or two to talk about uh, the difference between kinetic energy and momentum, but you'll get the kindergarten version from us tonight. Um, so kinetic energy essentially has no direction at all. And that's why you can't use it to measure penetration potential and multiple people, um, including Dr. Ashby have done studies on this and have measured the amount of penetration they have gotten on consistent targets with consistent arrows, uh, uh in comparison to the amount of kinetic energy that was being applied. And there is no correlation found none. You can't, you can't find one, but when you look at momentum, you can start to see, a correlation and it's not it's not perfect and i mean but that's that's hunting like you n nothing is ever going to be the exact same but if you're looking at it from a scientific standpoint 
momentum is the most accurate way to calculate how much force it's going to take to slow something down from the front. And this is another thing that you'll run into a lot with all the Facebook warriors is people saying, well, this has way more momentum than this. But when I shoot it into the target, this, uh, the one with less momentum penetrates more. And it's because that uh, force isn't coming from a straight on uh, stop. It's coming on from friction on the side of the arrow, which is a completely well. It's different. Targets are stopping arrows through compressive force, right? So not, at that not point, force on the front of the arrow. Yes, it's force on all sides, right? So at that point, the larger factor is the surface area of the head and the surface area of the shaft. Right. That is going to determine essentially which one wins in a target. So if you take a micro arrow and you take a standard diameter arrow, the micro is going to go further into a target. The difference is that on an animal, you are cutting tissue, which is under some amount of tension, is then going to cut and retract before any collapse can happen. Right. Right. So that tissue is not immediately applying pressure on the shaft. Right. There is still some drag, but it's not applying like a compressive pressure. Not like a target. All of the, I guess not all, but the majority of the resistance is being encountered at the head trying to resist forward movement and so it's just it's apples to oranges yeah Uh, yeah the the one thing that i would like to say though is that like momentum is one piece of the puzzle it is a better indicator of penetration potential than kinetic energy but it is not the end-all be-all that's all momentum is not created equal. Yep. So you can have two arrows that are different weights, different bows that have the same momentum value. Whichever one is deriving that momentum value uh, primarily from mass or more from, from its mass is going to have a better force retention and will lose momentum at a slower rate downrange or as it encounters resistance. So there's, it's definitely multifaceted, but the, I guess the big takeaway is that it's a better indicator of the arrow's potential. Yeah. Like you said, it's not it's not an end all be all, but it is a it is a certainly it's a better indicator. And most importantly, if you want to if anyone's, you know, super bored and wants to crack open a physics book, you can start looking at uh, straight line vectors or just vectors in general. Momentum is a vector, whether it's a straight line or an angular vector, but kinetic energy is not a vector. So therefore, it has no direction and you can't use it to calculate penetration potential so so there's that one other part that uh i always kind of find interesting is the where i guess kinetic energy became prevalent 
Um, and that was in the gun world where they were utilizing it to look at hydrostatic shock. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to find what... Or in uh, the Annihilator Broadhead world. Well, (laughs) I guess if you want to go down that one. Um, Garrett, I'm really sad you didn't laugh at my joke. So I I want to say that it was like 2,500 feet per second. Right. Was... Sounds like a was yeah. what was necessary to have adequate energy to create a hydrostatic shockwave, mm-hmm. um, which is relevant in the gun world, right? Right. I mean right. Th- that that's definitely relevant there. Arrows are not creating shock where it's causing physical damage, right? And so yeah. that number isn't even relevant like it, it's a completely different yeah. discussion yeah but it's well, a number that's familiar to people and it's sexy and it's and, high well it's like horsepower right yeah you, yeah. you know and same thing with like ibo ratings yeah it's like horsepower big numbers sell but yep the one thing that k is useful for is uh, understanding the efficiency of your bow. Yep, hundred percent. You know, because you can, if you want to take the time, you can create a, a draw force curve for your bow, and which is not that hard to do. No, by it's the not. Way, people, if um, you want to, yeah, it's literally, not, it's not you difficult. have a scale and a draw board, and you map out the held weight every like half inch, and you chart that, and then. I guess the challenging part for some people would be you have to calculate the area underneath that curve. That gives you your potential energy. And if you compare that to your kinetic energy from the arrow, you now have an efficiency. So you can see, you know, how much energy is being transferred and how much is left in the bow. Yep. And you can ca- learn calculus because it's fun. And <laughs> calculating like area area I, underneath curves. It's like the only time that I use that. Like, yeah, I've literally, I, I mean, I literally work in IT where like if anyone would be using calculus, it would be us. Well, besides engineers, engineers use calculus. Yeah, but, uh, but I, very rarely. Like, right. I mean, yeah. I guess probably the mechanical guys do it a little bit more for like structural stuff yeah but yeah electrical I, like yeah like sine cosine all that stuff like dealing with motors and drives right but actual calculus yeah yeah rarely so yeah just learn calculus learn calculus and you can be part of the lethal podcast it's that easy <laughs> just have to learn just have to learn calculus goodness um but yeah, I think that's about all all I've got for the KE versus momentum. Like I said, I don't yeah, want to like I think completely beat it to a dead horse just yet because we are going to have people on that are way more intelligent than us to talk about it. So yeah, yeah, I think the one other thing that you wanted to mention was, um, I guess, an example of why oh, yeah. kinetic energy isn't the best indicator. Um, yeah. So like the numbers that you had in the notes, which you always make fun of me for notes but you made notes. 
I did make notes. I, I'm proud I made of notes you. this time. Thank you. Um, Thanks, Dad. So if you've got a 350 grain arrow at 350 feet per second, so IBO. And that would be a, a, an IBO, an IBO speed bow. Yeah. Yep. 70, 30. Yeah. So that gives you 95.2 foot pounds. Yep. And you take a 650 grain arrow and it's flying at 257. That gives you 95.2 foot pounds. Yep. The difference is about, I guess, off the top of my head here, a 30% change in momentum. Yep. You're going from 0.54 to 0.74. So, and those increases are exponential, right? Uh, they, it gets, uh, you, you get more, uh, um, you get more gain, the higher you, you get a more efficient gain in momentum, the higher you go typically. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to find, I'm, I'm probably explaining that wrong. Damn. I'm trying to find Garrett Prawl's post on this because his information came out very interesting in his uh there we go okay so he so garrett prawl i think what is his page is a diy sportsman do it yourself sportsman i'm pretty sure i think i don't know i i want to have him on to talk about multiple things but uh so for example uh this was his bow he went down from 380 grains all the way up to uh, a 1163 grains so in that difference, the and and granted, like I don't know everything that happened here, but uh, he went from seventy three point three foot pounds at three hundred and eighty grains to seventy seven point, I think that says nine three nine four uh, foot pounds at eleven hundred. Now, so you're looking at a four foot pounds, four yep. and a half foot pound gain. Uh, that a, right. a little, a little over five percent is what is what he's gaining in in, in foot pounds. Mm-hmm. Uh, but which is showing your efficiency value, change. Yes, right. But his momentum value goes from point four nine. We'll just call it point five. It's point four nine six, but we'll call it point five to point eight nine six. Yep. So his his momentum value increased by uh, almost doubled. Uh, uh, what would that be? 80%, 90%. So significant change. Yeah. Huge increase. And, and the last couple of metrics from 900 to, uh, uh, 950 grains to 1160 grains. He was like climbing quick. Yeah. Uh, What poundage was his bow again? Um, I don't know. Um, it had to be 70. I'm trying to find it. Uh, He's not saying. Well, I'm sure he said somewhere. It's in his video. You know, I'm going to put the video link in the um, in the show notes. So look at it there. But uh, yeah, it's uh, well, it, it must not be that he, he must either have a shorter draw length or not be shooting 70 pounds because that's a it's a little bit on the low side for kinetic energy. Yeah, at least initially. Real. I'm looking I was at just it, curious uh, what grain per pound that range was. 
Yeah. Uh, Just for well, reference. It's, well, if you guys want to, uh, I tell you what. I've seen it before. I, I, I'd have to find it again. Yeah. How about you kick off our next myth and I will go look it up. All right. So uh, I guess this ties directly into what we were just talking about with momentum. Um, and I guess momentum being the kind of the driving force and mass being how well it's maintained. Um, so when guys start talking about pin gap, a lot of times guys that haven't shot heavy arrows will automatically assume that the pin gaps or the, the, you know, your sight tape for a heavy arrow just has to be huge. Uh, that everything just stretches out and is completely un- unmanageable, which is not normally the case. So up front, your light arrow is going to have tighter gaps than the heavy arrow, right? It's a different trajectory path. You're going to have a growth uh, at the, you know, sub 40, 50 range uh, for the heavy arrow. But where the mass and that momentum really kind of show themselves is long range. And Garrett, I know that we were just talking about this the other day. Mm-hmm. Um, today, I think. It might yeah, have been. Today. Yeah. It's um, been a long day. But it's something that I've mentioned in the past, and people always think I'm just blowing smoke. Um, <laughs> but like my 950 grain arrows from 60 yards on, my gap doesn't change. So yep. my the distance between 60 and 70 is, for all intents and purposes, the same as the gap from 70 to 80 and is the same as the gap from 80 to 90 because it's maintaining itself. There is you know such a small variation in uh, the speed of the arrow at that point that it's no longer growing it will grow again at a certain point but i guess i don't really care beyond that point um and that's you you just experienced that same thing right yep yeah my i set up my hunting sight tape and from once i hit yeah 70 to 100 my i've got the what is that thing the hogfather two pin Mm -hmm. so i've got the double indicator so from 70 to 100 if i'm like my pins are 10 yards apart so top yep. pin set to 70 second pins 80 well set to 80 second pins 90 set to 90 second pins 100 the awesome part about that especially if you're running like a double pin system like that which is the same thing i'm running right is if if i'm taking a longer range shot so say the animal's out at, you know, 50 or 60 yards, and I'm planning on taking that shot. I range, I verify it, I move my pin, lock it in, and now the animal starts moving. As long as I have a good indication of 
how much movement is occurring, it's then very easy for me to make an on-the-fly hold over or hold under adjustment. Yep. Because I know that the distance between my two pins is close to that 10 yards. And I can take that and I can go, okay, the same thing applies above my pin. Yep. Or at least very close to it. And so now I have essentially 10 yards above my pin. I have 10 yards to my second pin. And if needed, I have 10 yards to my bubble. So now even if it even if for a second shot, if you know you make a clean shot, but it stops and it gives you a second opportunity especially in a lot of remote areas, you're going to want to take that shot just for a shorter track. Yeah, just get blood on the ground. Yeah. And so being able to go, okay, it jumped 20 yards, load an arrow, let it rip. Yep. That is is so nice. I I haven't measured it, but is the distance from the second pin to the bubble the same? As the distance yes. between the first pin and second pin? Yes. Well, it it might not, like, if I take my mic, it's probably slightly different, but... Yeah, but, I mean, it's close enough for it's government It's close work. enough to, to make that call. Yeah. That's handy information. Yeah. I never even measured it. I was going to figure it out, because I was like, well, I should probably, you know, I was thinking about it. I was like, I should figure out where my bubble will hit in case I do need to hold, but... <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, just handy info. But mm-hmm. the the main point is that it gives you, when you have a, a consistent flight path like that, it can become a lot easier to understand and truly know that trajectory. Right. Whereas the, the flip side is that, that super light, fast arrow is going to be tighter up front, like I mentioned before. But right. once you start getting the long range, those gaps drops off keep the table. growing yeah. and they keep yeah. getting bigger and bigger the further you go out. Yeah. Um, that's, I do a handful of shoots every year that have uh, like long range bonus targets. And it's hilarious because those targets have helped me convert quite a few people that you know never would consider a heavier arrow because they felt that you know they would lose range like too much range yeah and then you've got like my buddy shooting a 500 grain and me shooting a like 650 plus and both of ours, you watch that flight and it just, it's consistent out to a hundred yards. And then he shoots his 400 grain arrow and you watch it just fall off a table. Yeah. Like, and it's like, oh, okay. The light bulb went on and I get it. Yeah. It, it retains itself better. So like, yeah, you know, that, that's what we've been saying. <laughs> But seeing a lot of times is what can make that difference. And that's where, like, 
if you haven't played with something heavy, get a test pack, whether yep. it's from a shop or like you just go on like Lancaster and you order a single arrow and you, you just play with it. You'll see what it looks like for the arrow and shipping, but that's beside the point. Well, yeah, I just depends. I think it's it needs to reassess their yeah. shipping prices. <laughs> Lord, yeah. shipping is not cheap. I know yeah, this. You're, however, you're telling me. Speaking of shipping, like, well, I guess I we'll I really haven't ordered time. anything from Lancaster, so I guess I don't know what they're charging. Well, look, good, good for you. That means your uh, your credit card information hasn't been stolen. That's oh, why yeah. I've been hesitant. I I got, I gave the guy at R100 some grief for that. They were mm-hmm. like, we're uh, for like part of, like this drawing will be for a fifty dollar gift card to Lancaster, and I was like, does it come with a security fraud check? <laughs> He didn't find that very funny. <laughs> um, yeah, but I, I mean, I know I didn't, I didn't say a ton there, but I couldn't agree more. It's, I mean, it's, it's physics. I don't know what else to say. Like more mass is going to retain energy better and your down, down range energy loss is going to be at a lesser rate than if you had something light and hollow mass at the beginning. So, yeah. Well, that, a, one thing I guess I would like to point out is I mentioned how heavy my arrow was that was doing that. But Garrett, what weight are yours again? Like five uh, and a half? 48. Yeah. Okay. Uh, five fifty. So just and you were for getting similar results. Like, I mean, this will vary depending on arrow weight and arrow speed because the speed will affect the in flight resistance. Yeah. But I mean, I'm not it, my my gaps are like I shot out to well, 97 and a half yesterday and I'm running a four fletch three inch vein and yep. I'm not like it's still consistent mm-hmm. like I'm not you know at the long range I'm not getting that extra resistance that's starting to slow it down even from those veins yeah yeah you're, you're not getting that parachute effect right but, but yeah it, you go, you start to see it I mean, I think I don't think people realize that you start to see that benefit of a heavier arrow at what is, I mean, relatively lightweight. Yeah. Like, yeah, like most like, well, my 3D arrows this year were 430. So I added 120 grains and I kind of kicking myself for not just shooting 550 for 3D all year, too, just because we had a lot of long targets and getting those light arrows to get out there and yeah. go where I wanted was a bit rough. Yep. Well, and that's, I mean, Not... the lighter the arrow, the more wind drift, the more. Yeah. Oh yeah. I was, and you know, shooting on the side of a mountain, wind drift is definitely a <laughs> problem. Yeah. So that kind of would... walk right into our uh, last topic, unless Matt, you had something else. Uh, I just wanted to put out this breaking news that uh, Evan sold another bow. So, oh, did he sell it or is he selling it? No, he sold it. Oh. He said, Ooh. he says goodbye. You won't be missed. Well, we all so, know that that guy can't hold. Yeah. Oh, I, I know. I just surprised. Uh, we, we, surprised we to have been married. At least he has a better relationship with his <laughs> wife than he does his bows. His wife is so damn nice. <laughs> she, he he does not deserve her. Uh, <laughs> Uh, she, she was so nice when I went down there and hung out with him. Uh, yeah, I feel like we need like a 
like it just a breaking news sound or just for Evan selling bows. And I, oh, I think we could, we could run up just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord. It's going to be the wild um, west again for that guy. No, oh, dude. Yeah. I, even, he even <laughs> like, <bird. laughs> he consulted, he consulted me before he took on this sponsorship. No, he was like, man, like I really like these bows. And yeah, I'm, we're like, like, don't do I'm it. like, I'm like, man, I know you and I don't think this is going to work out. He was like, no, it's fine. And he made it like three months. It was like, never mind. <laughs> Can't be sponsored. <laughs> Need different bows. Gracious guy. Um, yeah, sorry. So our last, uh, our last topic of discussion you were just you did have a good segue that I just absolutely killed. I'm so sorry. Is <laughs> main like choice meat eater. We like to take after meat eater with our seamless segues. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> even though I voiced my uh, anger towards them about that last episode. Um, this one, I haven't seen a ton. Like I haven't seen it. Let me rephrase this. I haven't seen it spoken a ton. But I have seen it implemented a ton because every damn arrow you buy has a three fletch blazer on the back. All of them. Every loathe, single one. I loathe the blazers. So I'm much. not a fan of them either. They're See, loud. I, I don't They're have loud. an issue. Everybody's with talking them. about how. But it, it's, it's situational. Like guys that are hunting in the Midwest are probably going to see a lot less issues with blazers than guys hunting out West. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, do they work? Yeah. Are they cheap? There's cheaper, but they're just so loud. Yeah, I guess. And I guess I haven't had issues with loudness, but that's have somebody shoot them while you're standing off to the side. No, yeah, yeah, no, like, I, even, I fully like realize that that yeah, they're they're louder. Um, I guess I was saying that I have not seen that be a function oh, issue. The, yeah, but part of that is shot distance, and mm-hmm. yeah, you know, part of it is. I mean, if you're gonna shoot a vented head, then I don't care what veins you have; it don't matter. Like. That vented yeah, head yeah. is making more noise than anything. Yeah, for sure. My uh, vented Valkyries have a nice whistle to them. <laughs> I actually don't mind it that much because it's just like a thud. So, so like, you got oh. like a, a deer <laughs> whistle. Cool. Yeah. And they're like, hey, what? Ow. Uh, so I guess the myth is with, with all these, with every manufacturer just slapping... Uh, uh, you know, blazers on everything is that your vein choice doesn't matter. Uh, when this is wrong on both sides of the equation, really. Um, and 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 there's a lot of a lot of factors that that go into it. But really, the more I'm gonna like break this down, Barney style, and I'll still probably do it wrong. The more front of center that you have, the less fletching that you need on the rear end to correct and the reason this is is because your rear lever arm becomes longer so you don't need as much surface area to catch wind because the tailwind is whipping around a little bit more and it corrects itself more quickly with uh, or you, you don't need as much surface area on the back end to correct 
uh, quickly to yeah. to get good arrow. You flight. need less drag to have the same effective force. amount of correction. Yeah, yeah. So you the benefit to shooting or shooting a heavier, higher front of center arrow in this in that instance is you can use much less uh, fletching um, and less fletching is good for uh, uh, less uh, wind drift because there's less surface area for the air to push on. Less tail um, wag. Yeah, less like, tail wag. Because that that's the the I guess the far end of the spectrum is if you do have high front of center and you have too much vein mm -hmm. and you shoot any kind of you know decent length shot with a crosswind you're more likely to have that arrow not impact in a straight line right um which is not what you want uh you want that arrow hitting square and so that's where like technically if you want to be really precise about everything, your veins should be part of your tuning process. Oh, 100%. Where, you know, you shoot your bear shaft, you know the bear shaft is flying, and now you start, like, what a lot of guys will do that, I guess, that I've helped walk through this, that cared enough to walk through this, is you start with whatever your full-size vein is, and you need to go shoot in crosswinds, watch the flight, and start trimming until you still have, you know, enough vein for forgiveness, mm -hmm. but you're no longer getting that, that tail drift. Right. So on the opposite side of this, and this really only pertains to longer distance shots. These guys will shoot these, you know, a big ton of surface area vein or feathers, especially feathers. You'll see it happen on quite a bit. But, and then, you know, the first 20, 30, 40, maybe in 50 yards, everything's hunky dory. But then when they start really stretching it out there uh, towards the end of the shot, the back of the arrow will start to like circle or wobble. And it's because it's slowing down so much and, and, there's air being pushed all over these uh, these huge veins, and it's it's creating this parachute or destabilization destabilization effect. So uh, there there is a happy medium for how much vein you can shoot. Uh, it's yeah, just and that's one where like you have to find it. It's part of your tuning process, like what Rob said. If if you're shooting short range, then this isn't a huge concern like i mean i know guys that still shoot four or five inch veins but they're not shooting broadheads past 20 25 yards right like at that point you probably won't really see issues yeah but honestly i think that this is a a big area where guys will say that like high flc nose dives you know and it's because once that destabilization starts happening, you essentially just have too much drag at the back of the shaft. 
mm-hmm. and it's catching the wind and now it's not like streamlining it's not allowing that arrow to continue just traveling its path it's right dragging and you end up with like you know a parachute yeah. um or like in my case, all those guys were just shooting a rest that had an adjustable spring and they never knew it. And their rest was dropping an eighth of an inch. Yeah. Yeah. That can do <laughs> it too. That but would. no, but, uh, I did actually experience this because I wanted to run a four Fletch pro max just cause I liked those veins and they were great on my 3d setup. But then once I went to, the Valkyries, which the short Jags are a little bit bigger cut diameter. So a little more surface area on the front. And then I'm running less FOC. Like that was where I did see a difference setting up this year's hunting arrows. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's part of it is as your FOC changes, your vein needs will change right like last year i was running three inch three three inch vein tech parabolics which is i'm running those on a four fletch this year but the year before that i had no problem getting razors to tune or four fletch something small yep four fletch fusion veins i think so something way smaller um and that's one thing that I've noticed is looking long, longer ranges, say 40, 50 yards plus, um, that longer, low profile veins, even if the surface area is equal to, say, a, a normal blazer, mm-hmm. that the lower profile veins are typically less prone to long distance issues with like crosswinds and stuff. Um, yeah, those just the, the cross area, you know, the, the, I guess overall, you know, diameter that is being, I guess, able to be affected by those crosswinds. Right. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Those, all of this, all, all of this, basically, from what I understand, lines up with all of uh, Cody Greenwood's findings over at Trad Lab. Yeah, uh, it's if if you guys really want to dive into uh, different vein configurations and sizes and stuff, or if feathers really, uh, uh, but and just see some of the data that he put out there, it's it's good, comprehensive. Yeah, and yeah. he did a really good job. Well, that's, so I mean, his go check that out. His top performing setup was, was a four fletch, small four vein. fletch, like two inch, right? Yeah, yeah, two inch. I think the, the yeah, I think I think a four a four fletch razor is yeah. is what performed the best for him. Yeah, um, and turns. that's like I mean, like what I've kind of fallen in love with that I've been using the last two years um, has been a four fletch uh, X vein, which mm-hmm. is like I'm running the the one point seven fives, which is a uh, low profile shorter shield cut vein it's pretty stiff and 
I think they weigh like four grains each. So I can do a four fletch and still be lighter than three blazers, have similar surface area with less height. And I mean, I've shot the, my broadheads out to 80, 90 with no issues, but I also have fairly high front of center. I mean, most of my stuff is mid 20. Right. So I guess on that note, I'm going to call a bit of an audible because this is, uh, well, no, I'm not. We're going to save for another <laughs> time to talk about. I do that too much where I think of something that I'm, I'm like, oh, let's not talk about it. Squirrel. But there is, we'll talk about it after we stop recording because we could probably spend an entire episode on this because on this like one tiny part of this discussion. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. No, I mean, we're, we're only at like an hour and a half. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Uh, but more or less, Which is fine. Uh, wind, wind drift and high front of center is what I would like to cover because oh, I think I mean, we, I think, I think, quick. no, I think even within this group, we have some differing opinions. So I kind of want to, I want to tee that one up for like a half episode to talk, to chit chat yeah, about. Yeah, we, we can do that. So, uh, is that, is that about all we, all we've got for vein yeah. choice, not mattering? I think that's about it. It does. It does matter. Point being whether it's too much yeah, or too little, you need, you need to find the right amount and it needs to be part of your tuning process. Yeah. I mean, it, it's situational depending on what you're expecting to shoot for distances, what kind of, what size heads you're running, what your front of center is, yep. you know, what your speeds are, all of that can come into play. And the biggest thing is that you want to verify it. And yep. if you're going to verify it, you want to verify it in realistic hunting conditions. So, you know, don't just test it indoors, go outside, yeah, outside. let the wind play with it and see what it does. Yep. Um, that's like, I, like I mentioned, I've been running those X veins for Fletch. I just did up a set as three fletch to see i mean i know that i have a long lever arm right is that still sufficient i haven't tried it so i don't know like i think that it will be but yeah. well let's know you find until out until you until you shoot it yep shoot on know. those xxls if, if it works on that it'll work on anything yeah i need longer arrows for those oh well <laughs> because those too short too mine yeah mine i have short to get the spine oh on so, two on what on a 240 on a 170 and a 150 Gee, <laughs> christmas rob there's there's a lot of weight up front well i understand that but there's like also a, like a foot of footers in there well it's to get the weight that i want <laughs> That's you had to cut yeah. a 170 down if, to make weight. If, how would you how would you build a 1250? How would you how like if, if you want to, how would you do it? If I wanted to build a 1250? Yeah. I would run a 315 grain head. Yeah. And I would add so because right now I have arrows built to 950 with two hundreds and with three fifteens. So those right. have 
varying amounts of brass in them. Right. Would you just be able to add more brass to yeah. your, oh, and, and you think it would still spine, right? Yeah. Okay. Well, you said you had to cut it down that short to make it work for 200. So, well, and that's, I prefer to, I guess me personally, I prefer to tune slight stiff. Yeah. So that's, it just, it, it tends to, to work better for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the thing is, is at this point, I've got like, geez, like on the 200 grain setup, I've got like 200 grains of brass, 225. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's so all adding 100 grains to the head, that would put me to 1050. And then I add another 200 grains of brass, and that's my my 1250 build. But at that point, that internal footer is so long that, I mean, it's not. You're you're basically double chapping brass. You're, (laughs) I mean, so. I I wonder if you're actually taking it. I would guess at that point, you're probably taking away from your front of center yeah. because you're adding you're adding brass behind the fulcrum. It'd be getting very close. It'd be adding at a very yeah. slow rate if it was adding. Yeah. Interesting. But, um yeah. That's I probably should make up a set for the double XLs. Just, yeah, just do like a six fifty build. You shoot those a deer, man, for sure. Yeah. I just I don't know. Yeah, six fifty like on a double could could you do well you you can't you can't even do that on a two well a 240 won't work for you will it no, no that's no? i i'd be running a stock 170 build or a stock 150 build um yeah. with you know it'd be, you'll be over 650 then yeah i'd be like a, a low 700 yeah which i mean would still end up <laughs> somewhere north of 250 well, amateur, second. so amateur hour Seven or something grand. It would just be one more Um, arrow in my quiver, and then I'd have to have a new sight tape. And no, (laughs) (laughs) I wouldn't want to do that. Uh, Okay, so that's I guess that's about all for the episode. However, I do want to take a minute to talk about things that are coming up. Um, Let me just say I'm not saying who all the guests are because we're still trying to narrow or trying to nail down a couple of them. But like our next like four or five guests are going to be an absolute murderer's row. So if you are interested in listening to people that are either terrifyingly intelligent or kill a lot, lot, lot of animals or both, then the next like throughout the month of August is going to be the month to listen because we have so many awesome guests like teed up and ready to go starting next week particularly i think it's going to be released next week we'll see i'm pretty sure it is uh what is what will next friday be next friday will be the second yep okay so yeah that will be the first of uh a really really fun uh line of guests and we are also going to be kicking off a summer shooting challenge that is going to be a ton of fun um Spoiler alert, I'm not making it like terribly difficult because I want people to participate. 
Uh, so we haven't released the details on it, but more or less, there's going to be three classes, uh, men, women, and trad and with some minimum arrow weights. And if you can't hit those minimum arrow weights, then we still have something else that you can do and you can be entered in to win, uh, some really, really cool prizes. Um, a lot of people have, uh, stepped up and, so they're going to donate a lot of really cool stuff for our listeners to be able to win. Uh, and I mean, like I I'm, I'm trying to think of like a giveaway in recent history that had probably this dollar amount like attached to it. And I, I don't know of many, maybe it's worth maybe it's it yeah. worth it to participate. Yeah. A hundred percent. There will be, a few boxes that have to be checked to be yes, entered. But for sure. It's nothing too difficult. Nope. If you can post stuff on Facebook, you can handle it. Yeah. It's not, it's, and like I said, we're setting this up for people to participate. I'm not trying to make this insanely hard. So be on the lookout for that. Uh, I think we'll be announcing some more details here in probably the coming days. Uh, um, probably not so if this release is on a friday we'll probably have the release for everything on monday for all the classes and everything that's happening so uh be on the lookout for that and yeah it's gonna be a fun summer on top of that we some topics that uh, we do want to cover soon is building arrows for women slash people with short draw lengths and and lower draw weights we want to do uh and maybe within the same episode do uh, arrow building for our uh, Gumby friends that have uh, draw lengths over 32 inches and trying to build uh, uh, good arrows that have a good front of center on uh, on for for those guys. And we had another topic that we oh we're gonna have Evan on to talk more about uh, arrow tuning for sure because or or the charts and how, why the charts are wrong. So. Uh, those are, that's a quick preview of other stuff that's coming up and I'm sure we'll have other topics that we'll cover as well. But, uh, I know we've, we've had a couple of people ask about low poundage, short draw length builds, and I've seen a couple of, uh, threads pop up the last couple of days about, uh, uh, guys that are like 32, 33 inch draws and what arrows they should be using. And, uh, a lot of poor information out there, unfortunately. So we're going to try and help. So that's, uh, that's what we're doing. But anything else? Anything else we need to mention and talk about? Should be good. All right. Well, thanks for listening. Until next time, stay lethal. And don't forget the olive oil.